This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Are We There Yet? I'm Katie Gossett. And when babies enter the world, they may be the first child in their family or not, but sooner or later, most of us have to work out how to deal with siblings. In tonight's programme, a group of parents discuss the way in which children learn to get on with others. I suppose we all want our children to like other people and to be liked by them. And the only way that they can develop into these well-adjusted people is to be used to people. So that was a continuing education programme for parents back in 1976. And of course these days we still want our children to be well socialised and the first relationships they tend to form outside of their parents are with their siblings. Trouble is, they don't always get along. One just likes to be head honcho and the other one doesn't get much space to do what he wants. One's sort of squishing the other one quite a lot. They can fight about absolutely anything. (laughs) I can hear it sometimes. But unless it's kind of escalating, I try and just leave it alone. Because you can't be leaping in there every five minutes to sort it out. You've only got his six children, you don't get involved in every argument because it's, you know, it just doesn't work. Unless, of course, it's physical. Hitting, I'm not into hitting. <laughs> They're not supposed to hit each other. And then if you do hit each other, then you hit on the arms. Don't hit people on the back or the head. That's a rule, believe it or not, in our household. But it's hard to stamp out sibling rivalry entirely because while your friends might come and go, your brothers and sisters are the ones who are there day after day. So siblings can be the bane of our existence, a source of great fun, a source of competition, comparison and huge support. When all is said and done, the sibling relationship is the longest relationship that we will have in our lifetimes. So this is Catherine Gallagher, our clinical psychologist, explaining that whilst we love our siblings, obviously, the relationship itself doesn't get a lot of love. I think we often pay attention to the parent-child relationship, peer relationships, and, and future intimate relationships, whereas siblings are kind of taken for granted. Unless, of course, they're fighting, which is often when parents will come to me about this stuff because it can be hugely triggering for parents. So what causes the sibling spats? Yeah, sometimes I think there's a bit of jealousy. The elder one will be annoyed that the younger one is getting this attention or gets away with this just because they're little. You get a little bit of one-upsmanship in terms of, you know, oh, I've got a higher score on this video game or I'm better at X than you. Often I'm actually reminding the older kids, you know, this guy's just little. You know, not that it's an excuse for everything, but some things he just doesn't get it yet, you know. And if you're 17 or a big boy and you're telling off your five-year-old brother you're huge they come across as quite harsh. Catherine Gallagher says not surprisingly children especially young ones are pretty egocentric and learning to share their parents is a big ask. Imagine mum and dad coming home from the hospital and saying we're back now say hello to your little sister. 
you two are going to be great pals. Now the subplot that they don't point out at that time is that this little sister is going to make loud noises, poo a lot, take attention away from you, they aren't old enough to play with, and mum and dad suddenly seem tired of all of a sudden and grumpy. These things are all something that need to be adjusted to. So you need to be mindful of your child's feelings, but it's also a great learning opportunity. Because there's always going to be change in life, and so you know, adjusting to siblings can be a good model to be exposed to because it's one of many changes a child's going to have in life. And once you've got a sibling, the lessons just keep on coming. How to share, you know, conflict resolution, communication, and of course, to learn what provocative behaviours are just enough to annoy my brother, but not draw attention to myself before I can make a quick escape. That's a personal story. Because when it comes to winding each other up, siblings usually know exactly which buttons to push. One hassles the other one a bit. One's got this personality where he hassles him a bit. Ugh, it's really annoying. You know, if one of them's in trouble, you can tell the other one's sort of thinking, "Mm -hmm. you know, I'm one up. My star's on the rise and yours is on the decline. And while sibling rivalry is pretty natural, parents do need to be able to spot when it's become something more, when it's become harmful. There's a difference between some healthy sibling competition and actually a child who is provoked and ridiculed for lack of ability. You know, and kids, siblings especially, can be cruel. So, you know, we've just got to keep our ear to the ground. Jealousy is an age-old problem. But I think we can often soften the blow by giving the kitty an extra ration of love and attention and just being sympathetic and trying to involve him with the new baby. I noticed that the older child would always play up when I was breastfeeding the baby. And this was a thing that happened time and time again. The mother, in this panel discussion from the 1970s, ended up offering her older child some breast milk, which he rejected. And most modern parents have come up with some tricks of their own. I had two that didn't get on very well, and then I stuck them in the same room, and now they're getting on really well. One of the best things is just to separate them for half an hour or an hour even, and then when they come back, they seem a lot more able to be reasonable with each other. I think you've got to make a priority of actually paying attention to your kids before they start acting annoying, (laughs) really, don't you? Sometimes I think, oh yeah, I've really got to take him out and do something with him. And Catherine Gallagher agrees that catching things before they go wrong can make all the difference. What we tend to do when kids are playing quietly is think, woohoo, you know, get on with my 500 jobs I have to do, and only storm in when things are kicking off. So again, if children learn that quiet play gets us left alone, then we might think, as an adult, wouldn't that be great? We all want to be left alone. But kids don't. Kids love parental attention. So again, sometimes it's about us working out that if I end up being around kids and praising and and be physically present when they're playing nicely, that's reinforcing to them. And likewise, if something's gone wrong and you do need to leap in, don't focus too much on the negative behaviour. When they kick off, clearly I'm going to have to handle that, but I might do that in a way which is matter of effect, and I do it with very little attention being paid. So as kids get older, they should be able to manage their feelings better. Well, that's the theory. But in reality, they're going to fight, and it's best for you to have a plan. At times, dividing is conquering, and so siblings having lots of unstructured time together can be asking for trouble. Rules that make expectations around sharing explicit can also help. For example, here's the remote control, you've both got it for half an hour. Muck around with your other siblings half an hour, then you lose some time off yours. And if there's some kind of drama unfolding, it can be helpful to just go in there and break it up. I've got one mum who goes in and says, right, I've heard you guys kicking off, you've got a minute to sort it out. If I have to come back, then you've both been put in time out. 
But in saying that, there are always going to be children who need more support in social situations, even if it's just with their siblings. It might be that for that particular child, they play with the, the bigger group or with their sibling for a little bit in a highly structured activity, and then they kind of come away and regroup, and then they can go back in there again. Whereas just as a parent to kind of go, well, they should be able to play nicely. Hmm, that's going to create difficulties because then when they don't, we often as parents storm in there and say, right, because it's what we wished for, but it was never going to happen. So sometimes we're kind of setting the system up to fail. But if they do have a bit of argy-bargy, it's not the end of the world. It can help prepare them for the rigours of the playground. So if the child's first experience of being teased is school, because you've worked so hard to protect them and sanitise home, you can see how that's not very helpful. Because the child's going to be completely crushed when they go to school and someone says, oh gosh, you've got a big nose or you're not so good at that or you know, I did better in my maths test than you did. So we we need our kids to have a sense that actually there are other children with other skills and other talents and actually some kids are going to point that out to you. And sometimes it's going to be their siblings who have those greater talents. We have no control potentially over the combination of how genetics and life experience are going to play themselves out in this particular child. So some might be an amazing sportsman and the other child might be completely unco and in fact their interests may lie elsewhere. So... Self-esteem doesn't come from being good at stuff. Self-esteem comes from being able to view ourselves realistically. And the first people we look to to get clues about how to view ourselves are our mums and dads. And that means that sometimes we might just need to allow our children to feel bad about something. This child might be completely gutted that they don't achieve this thing that their sibling did. And the temptation is to try and rescue them from that or to try and even it out or, or change the perception But in fact, sometimes the best thing we can do is sit down and give them a cuddle and go, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard when there's something you want and you can't get it. So not to rush into problem solving, but just to sit with the feeling. And of course, within that context, we're also wanting to help our child identify what are their strengths. The other thing parents can feel tempted to do is always make things fair for their children. And sometimes life actually isn't fair. Kids are great at pointing that out. It's not fair. And if we kind of believe that we should be fair all the time, then that's a real trigger for us. And we can kind of end up backtracking or or trying to make it okay. In reality, life isn't fair. And if parents can feel confident they will try their best to meet each child's need, then we can step out of this fairness trap. And last, but not least, probably actually most important, you have to be realistic and expect that, yes, you will put up with some fighting. It's actually okay, in fact essential, for our kids to be frustrated sometimes. And sibling relationships are full of frustration. So you could see it as a a great space to experiment with and explore and experience feelings that are important as a growing little human being to experience. And as parents, we don't always have to rescue our kids from that. Sometimes we just have to scaffold them, validate them, and sometimes pick up the pieces. But that's actually an important part of life. And that's it. This podcast was presented and produced by me, Katie Gossett. Duncan Smith did the music mix, and Tim Watkin is our executive producer. And the historical audio comes courtesy of Na Taonga Sound and Vision. If you enjoyed the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. And while you're there, check out the new season of My Heels Are Killing Me, taking you behind the scenes of the fashion industry. And in our next episode, more family dynamics, I'm going to take a look at blended families.
subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.